Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Okay, well, tonight we are wrapping up and concluding the series that we started 21 weeks ago. Um, titled The Mind, The Arena of Faith. And it's based upon a book written by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price. And you guys have been troopers because you have hung in there for all of this time. Well, tonight we're definitely going to wrap it up. Uh, Where we left off last time was we talked about the fact that obviously each thought that we have that comes toward us needs to be interrogated. And I gave you some things to think about. First of all, you need to find out when whatever the thought is, you need to look at it almost like you're looking at a person and look at the, the thought square in the face like you would a person and say, do you agree with what has been formed in my by my virtue of teaching? You know, all this teaching that you're getting? Does the thought that's coming to you, does it line up with that? Um, Because if it doesn't, then that's going to be a chink in your armor because we already know that God's armor is the word. So therefore, you need to find that out. And then also, do you agree with the word of God? Which is kind of the same thing, but it's just really making sure that you really are paying attention when you're interrogating this particular thought. If not, you have to hit the delete button. You've got to get rid of it. Now, we say that and you're like, yeah, okay, I know I have to do that. But no, let me explain something to you. When you do not hit that delete button, you are giving that thought entrance into your life and you are giving it birth and you are allowing the enemy to add to it and actually he can wipe you out just from that simple thought. Um, You know, there are many people, and I'm sure that you can even think of some thoughts that have come along in your life that have somewhat kind of devastated you or have created a stronghold and made you feel in a way that they shouldn't have. Some people have, that's where I think low self-esteem comes in because anybody, when you think about it, when you are born again and spirit-filled, there's nothing to have low self-esteem about, nothing. I don't care what your station in life is. There is nothing for you to be but excited. But if you allow some of the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that have come along way that people have imparted into your life and you have not said, no, I'm not receiving that. No, I'm not accepting that. It can put you in a spot where you don't move forward. So it's so important that you do hit that delete button. It's not just something, you know, that we're saying that sounds cute. It's something that you really need to do because we talked about every single thought has a what? Life and death component attached to it. I'll repeat that. Every single thought has a life and death component attached to it. And it's not always physical life that you lose. And you think about that yourself. This is a perfect Sometimes, and ladies, and not that I'm picking on ladies, but it can be guys that do it too. But ladies, we talk a little bit more sometimes than guys do. Or, you know, guys, they talk, you know, it's just different. We'll get together and we're sitting and we're just talking. And, you know, before we know it, we sometimes have a tendency to go on and on about different things just in our group of our friends. And sometimes you might go ahead and stretch something or embellish it a little bit more. And you think it's okay. And it's like, it's no big deal. And you're like, nobody's going to know. It's no big deal. 
deal. But let me tell you something. When you do that, the enemy knows that you're doing it, and he will take that very little embellishment that's like no big thing, but just a little thing in your mind so you're telling yourself. He will make sure that that little embellishment, which is a nice way of saying it's a lie, okay, he will make sure that it is found out, and then the very person that you might have said that to, you end up losing your relationship with that person. So it's not always life and death like you're going to physically transition and die, but it could be a loss of a friendship that you have for many, many years. It could be loss of, you know, just having a wonderful relationship with people that you know. So the point is, it's definitely something that you do not want to do. Now, we also talked about three different principles um, when it comes to thoughts. The first one is you have to identify the thought. What was the second one? Yes, quench the thought. And what was the third one? Capture. Capture, exactly. So now we're really going to concentrate on those three components. Identify, quench, and capture. Because once we discover that the thought disagrees with what we believe, lining up with our armor, lining up with the word, that's when the war is on. That's when the war actually begins. And once we realize that, because we know that the thought then is coming from whom? Satan, the deceiver. So remember, we've been talking about this whole series that the wiles of the devil, the evil day and the fiery darts are no more than what? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. That's exactly what it is. Turn with me to Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at verse 16. Ephesians 6, verse 16. And many of us know this. We quote usually the New King James Version, which says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Are you there? Okay. If we look at it in the Living Bible, it says, In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. That's really plain. And then the Amplified says, Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, we already talked about thought identification. We know that we've got to learn how to identify our thoughts. But looking at this, I want you to look at it in this way. If we look at it, and you can look at it from the New King James Version, where it says, the shield of faith, above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I want you to concentrate on that uh, phrase of you will be able. Because there are all kinds of things, you know, there are even songs that are out, uh, gospel songs especially, that talk about how the Lord is able, I know God is able, and that's true. So, I mean, I'm not knocking the songs, I think that's wonderful, but here's the thing. In that verse of scripture, it does not say anything, We okay, it doesn't say anything about whether or not you... It's telling you that you've got to take your shield of faith. That is what is most important for you to do. And if you do that, yes, you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts. But the key is you've got to have the shield of faith. It's no guarantee that, you know, you're just going to be able because God is able. It has nothing to do with that. There's always a component attached to it. In other words, we know that God heals. That's not even a question. We know, I'll give you this example. If I 
want to have a million dollars, okay? I really would like to have a million dollars and put it in my bank account. I can go down to City National Bank and I could say to them, okay, I know that you're able to give me a million dollars. I know the vault has plenty of money in City National Bank. However, if I don't meet the criteria, I can stand up there and say whatever I want, I can confess whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, I'm not getting the million dollars. Okay, they're able to produce it, but that does not necessarily mean that I am able to get it in my hot little hands because I don't meet the criteria, if you will. And that's important to know that. It's important to understand that because if you look back at Ephesians, Ephesians 6.16 where it says above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts. It doesn't say some of them or a few of them. It's telling you specifically all of them. Every single kind of dart that comes your way. You'll be able to quench it but you've got to have what? The shield of faith in which to be able to do it. So if the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions are in fact the wiles of the devil, the evil day, and the fiery darts, if we quench them with the shield of faith and they don't get through, they can't get through to us if we do that based upon what the scripture said, then there's no negative impact that's going to come in our life, correct? And that's a good thing, wouldn't you agree? So that's definitely something that we want to do. So back to identifying a thought, quenching the thought, and capturing the thought, and we already know about thought identification, we have to learn how specifically to identify the thought. So, we talked about having a scenario of, um, it could be any kind of camp, any kind of military camp, you can think of anyone at all, where they have armed guards that are posted all around that camp, and they post them around the perimeter so that anybody who tries to make entrance has to do what? They've got to show ID, they're not going to get through all of the MPs that are there, and that is to protect the people that are inside the camp. Well, we need to think of our minds as a camp, okay? We have to make sure that whenever any kind of thought is trying to make entrance into it, we have to do what? We've got to identify it and we have to decide whether or not we are going to allow entrance into our life. And this is so important because you may be going through a challenge. It could be a challenge of any kind. It could be a challenge where it's usually always the top challenges that we have. They're usually always physical because somebody needs healing, you know, or the manifestation of it. Financial because it's usually, you know, where there's just not enough money, you know, for the things that you need. Um, sometimes it can be spiritual because sometimes people are battling with, you know, different things that way. And a lot of times it's just thoughts and ideas that come into our mind that make us feel less than, okay, which deals with self-esteem and if you don't put a check on that it can enter into depression. These are all real things that we deal with every day. We don't like to talk about them but it's really real and something that we deal with. But the point that I'm making is if you don't hurry up and stop and put a handle on it and don't allow it entrance into your camp, which is your mind, it can go ahead and the enemy will keep adding to it and adding to it and try his very best to wipe you completely out. And you could be born again, spirit-filled, love the Lord, and it can still happen to you. So that is why we have to examine every single thought that comes our way. We must spend time with thought identification, and we can't let any vehicle that's carrying any kind of thought that can hurt us, because it can be a vehicle that can really just be almost like 
something that's carried bombs in it that could blow up and blow up our lives. We can't allow that entrance into our lives. And you have to think about this even when you're asleep, thoughts come to you. Has anybody ever had a dream that's so vivid you wake up from that dream and you feel like, oh my goodness, you know, like you may have had a dream and it had sad thoughts in it and you literally wake up with tears coming down your face. It was a dream. The point is, yes, it was a dream, but the thoughts were still going on in your mind while you were sleeping. Sometimes it's a good dream and, you know, maybe it's wonderful. Maybe, you know, you received everything that you wanted in life or whatever. That's good. That's great. That thought's there. That's good. But sometimes it's not. And that's how come even when little small children have nightmares, one of the things you need to let them know right then and there is to cast that down. Don't allow that to take up residence in their mind. Don't do it. If you teach them that right away, and even if they can't talk and they come to you with a bad dream, you do it for them so that the enemy knows you're not going to torment this child with any kind of thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that's going to interfere with their sleep. Don't give him that place. But the point is it's something, again, that we have to do. So, conscious or unconscious, whatever you want to call it, however you want to term it, it is something that does affect us and can affect, really, how we live. And we've got to know that. Now, when it comes to the word quench, because it's very interesting that Paul specifically uses the word quench. It's an interesting word, because quench, like, it, we picked it up in the Amplified, where it says that the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, because to extinguish it literally, that's what quench really means. Like when you think of a fire extinguisher, it's putting it out. Okay, so when we say we want to quench a thought, we want to get rid of it, put it out, let it no longer be in existence, period. But I want you to think about this. A fire is extinguished or quenched when we cut off what? The fuel source. Meaning when the firemen come and there's a fire, why do they have those big hoses of the water and all the rest of this? They're trying to stop whatever is fueling the fire to keep it burning. Give you an example. Say you're in your apartment and you find, I don't know, letters, bills, whatever you want, and you're so disappointed with them, you decide you want to burn them in your little trash can, okay? So you light your trash can and you're like, oh, this is fine. You know, it's just a few little letters, maybe five or six. And then you keep finding more stuff that you want to burn and you just keep adding to it and adding to it, not realizing that this little trash can was fine for the capacity of maybe three or four little letters, but now you've added like 25. So now you have a fire that's almost like roaring. And before you know it, it might catch a little spark can go catch on your curtains. Now you got a whole fire and yes, the fire department has to come to extinguish it. Guess what? That's how our thoughts can be. Literally, they can be that way because the fuel for any thought is attention. See, if you're fueling a physical fire, yes, you're going to use something like wood, okay? When we think of a bonfire, we think of wood or paper. You have to give something to fuel it to make the fire go. It's not going to just go because, you know, you think it's something you want it to do. You have to fuel it. Well, your thoughts also are fueled, and they're fueled by attention. So if we don't want to give the thought attention, what do we do? If we don't want to give the thought any kind of fuel, rather, what do we do? Right, stop paying any attention to it. That is extremely important. It is extremely important because the lifespan of a thought is determined by how much attention is given to it. It can only live 
as long as you give it attention. Just like a fire can only burn as long as you feed it fuel. When the fuel source is gone, the fire automatically goes out. You don't even have to put any more water on it or anything else. Just withhold its fuel source. It can't burn without fuel. And a thought cannot exist without your attention. The strength of a thought either increases or decreases depending upon how much attention that that thought receives. And I'll give you a perfect example. Say, for instance, you're fighting symptoms of a cold. It's annoying, you know, you get, you're coughing, you have a stuffy nose, and that stuffy nose thing can really kind of, you know, it's just not comfortable, because then you can't eat, you can't enjoy your food, it's just annoying. The more you think about that, the more you think about those symptoms, you feel worse. It's like the worse you feel, the more you think about it. Whereas if you turn the thing around and you think about, I'm healed, regardless of what this you know, runny nose and coffee and stuff, I don't care about that. I know that I am the healed of the Lord. And you start meditating on the scriptures for healing, all of a sudden it's not even really bothering you that much because you're not feeding the thought of ailment by giving it attention. But we don't always think of it that way. But that's why I'm trying to give you a different way to think about it. How you deal with it, whether you give it more or less attention, will have a lot to do with how it either gets out of your way and leaves, or it's something that can plague you and just you can be miserable and miserable for a very long time. Because the lifespan of a thought is determined completely by the amount of attention that it receives. So understand that. Now, if Satan can get your attention on any thought that he suggests, it will end up impacting your actions. Because now, if you're thinking on it and it's manifesting with the, the thoughts, in other words, you're meditating on it and it's getting more and more because you're giving it more and more fuel with your attention, then it starts to affect what you believe because it gets to a point where it starts to affect your belief system. You can start believing that you have the worst cold in America. You can even believe that that cold is turning into the flu or bronchitis or whatever other wonderful thing that he is giving you to think on. And you can end up being in the bed for a week from a common cold that should have been gone in like two days. But it's all with what you're fueling it with. It honestly, truly can happen. So turn with me to Philippians 4.8. Because this we know as well. <clears throat> but sometimes we don't always spend as much time really grasping what's being said here. Philippians 4, 8. Because we know we're supposed to think on what's good. So if you look at it in the New King James, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I like what it says in the Amplified, because it says, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right, and confirmed by God's word. Again, that is, that's taking even this passage of scripture and further identifying what, when it's talking about the things that are right and honorable and good, it's got to be something that is confirmed by God's word. Whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually. Notice it says continually. 
Because what does that mean? If you're thinking continually on this, you're starving whatever the negative thought is. You're not giving the attention to the negative thought that the enemy is putting there, but rather you are placing your attention and fueling what the word of God has placed here for you. And we already know the word of God is our armor. We also know that the word of God is truth. So therefore, it says to continually think on these things, center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Why do you think it says implant them in your heart? It's telling you to implant them in your heart because that's where your belief system is held. So therefore, they want to make sure that what you are believing in your heart, again, is lining up exactly with what the word says. But there are other things that you don't have any business thinking on, period. So you have to balance it out with the word of God, with your armor. Because it always comes, whatever thought, it's always going to come in your own voice like we talked about before. And you've got to be extremely careful. Entertaining the possibilities, turning them over in your mind is exactly what a thought requires for it to thrive, for it to grow, for it to take up residence in you. The more you entertain the thought, the more it grows in strength. Because what? Like we said before, you're actually adding fuel to that particular thought. It's like adding, I mean, if we were going to say, hmm, well, it goes back to anything, but like say, for instance, if you were going to imagine a train and it's just one little train, you know, like say it's one little L-I-double-R train that's going to take me home and it's putt-putting along. And then I decide to add another train to it to kind of push it along further. And then they keep adding trains, which is very interesting because most of the trains when I go home on one line has about 25 trains attached to it. That means I'm going to get home really fast because it's really moving. There's a lot more power to it. A lot more attention is given to the outcome of it moving. Well, it's the same thing again with a thought that comes to you. The more attention you give to it, you can look at it like that freight train. You can make it just go faster and faster faster and faster and build and build and build and if it's not a thought that is good worthy of praise and all of these other things that they've just read it can have a negative effect a really negative effect on your life it's like how one of the things that I've always said to parents and I still will say it as long as I live be very careful what you allow teachers to say to children Okay, be very careful what you allow them to speak into that child's life because you have one teacher that does it and the thing that a lot of times parents don't realize is teachers are human, they're people. So they have a faculty staff room. So if little Johnny, okay, is giving, uh, you know, Miss... Z, a challenge in her class, and then she goes and she's sitting and she's having lunch and she's talking to, you know, Mr. W about little Johnny, then, you know, she's explaining what challenge she's having and then Mr. W may not have really had the challenge, but now he's going to start looking for the challenge when it comes to Johnny. And before you know it, you've got, and it's, and it's done somewhat innocently, it's not like they meant to do this, but I'm just trying to show you that freight train, how it starts to collect Okay, and more fuel is added to it. And poor little Johnny, he's just trying to make it through. And nobody's understanding that about him. And more and more and more is imparted into these horrible thoughts. And he doesn't, he's not as success successful as he could or should be. And if somebody still doesn't figure it out, he will grow into a grown man still having that attached to him. And it's a life that could be so much better, but just because of some thought 
idea and suggestion that kept being fuel, his life was changed in the negative forever. So we have to be very, very careful about that. Very careful. And you have to look at it that way for yourself as well. So conversely, turning your attention away from a thought and to be noble, from, away from a thought and to noble, just, pure, lovely, virtuous things, it's a thought's worst enemy when you do that. Because a negative thought, it can't deal with that. That's not its job. Its job is to get you to start thinking about it so they can start starting its destruction. So when you don't do that, you're kind of messing the whole thing up. And it doesn't like that. It really goes ballistic. That negative thought is going to go ballistic because you are not fueling it by giving it attention. When you're confronted with an attacking thought, turning your attention to what the Bible says has the same effect on the thought as pouring wire on that, uh, pouring water rather on that fire or having the firemen come with those hoses and putting the fire out. It has that same kind of effect. It's also like, just look at it this way, negative thoughts want attention, they crave attention. So it's sort of like, say for instance, I'm having a conversation with Fawn and we're talking and we're having a conversation back and forth and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere, I just turn my back away from her, I stop talking to her and I start talking to Jennifer. I mean, that seems awfully weird. And it's rude. I mean, for no other reason, it's like I'm talking to her. How do I just turn my back and start talking to Jennifer? Okay, well, <laughs> it, it's not right, okay? It would be just horrifying. Well, that's how the thought feels. So if for some reason or another you just, just quench it and just say, uh, I'm not paying any attention, it's like delete, it's gone, it does not matter to me, it totally, totally throws that particular thought just out. It, it, it doesn't even know how to handle it because it's being ignored and thoughts hate to be ignored because simply when you're ignoring it, what are you doing? You're killing it. You're killing it because you're not giving the attention or the fuel that it needs for it to grow. So that is what is so important about it. And remember that when you ignore a thought, when you do not give it attention, it will die unborn. Unborn in the sense that you give it no life. And that is extremely important. It's got to have your attention to be effective. So if you put, if we put our attention strictly on the word of God, it quenches the wiles of the devil, the evil days, and the fiery darts. So the act of quenching begins as we redirect our attention away from the attacking thought and onto what we believe about, these are when our six steps come in, what we believe about the truth, what we believe about righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. So those six points always come into effect. So once your attention has been redirected from the thought, from that particular thought to the word of God, the battle is halfway over. Now you're starting to actually get on top of the situation, what's good. It's all about the decision of your will, and it's really very simple. I'll give you an example. A lot of people in our congregation are going on this wonderful cruise in August, okay? Now, we had the brochures out probably almost a year, okay, before the cruise. I mean, you know, the bro and the brochures are wonderful. They tell you all about the cruise, where you're going, your itinerary. Now, some thought for those people who decided to go, they didn't just 
you know, not think about it. I mean, they had to think about whether they were going to take that time, you know, from work or whatever, or just in their life they wanted to put together that time. They had to decide, well, what cabin do I want and what deck do I want it on and do I have all the particular clothes that I want to wear, especially if you're a girl. I mean, we kind of think of that. Guys do too, I think. But, you know, all of those things we're thinking about. Um, you know, uh, and do I want to have the cabin by myself or do I want to get a group together because, you know, that does make it a little bit more economical or, you know, all of those things. The point is, you have the freedom and the will to be able to decide what it is that you want to do. Or you decide maybe that you don't want to go. All of that's up to you. It's so important for you to understand that. Now, that's a good scenario. Think about it this way. Most people work a job of some sort. A lot of people work a job and it is not their passion. It's not like they wake up every morning and they just dream about doing whatever it is they do at work. A lot of times people work a job to make ends meet because you know we have bills to pay and all the rest of that. So everybody does not have their dream job. But the same thought process that goes into choosing to go on a wonderful vacation also goes into your day-to-day -day life when you are actually going to work. So say for instance, you find out that the boss is going to be on vacation for a whole week. The average person is like, yay, okay, that means I got an easy week, okay, I can slack off because I don't have the slave driver actually looking at me, okay, making things hard, I can just relax myself, I mean, I might take an hour and a half for lunch if I want to. I mean, people just get real excited about it, but again, the thought process that you made for the cruise is the same thought process that you have to have when it comes to this. And you've got to be very careful because you know all the people around you are thinking the same thing. I mean, they're planning on having an easy week and doing as little as they physically can do. And if you're, you know, if you're supposed to clock in, say, at 8 o'clock and leave at 5 o'clock, they already have it figured out. Well, are you kidding me? I'm leaving at 4.30, okay, because the boss is not here. I got a whole extra half hour. I am out of dodge. I'll sit there. We can sit and chit-chat and talk about whatever we want to and then yeah we'll go punch a little clock time clock at five o'clock but we are not working all the way up to the last minute I mean are you kidding me and that's something that we would sit even as Christians look at that and be frank and if we're authentic because we don't always like to be talking about that but if we're authentic we go that's all right you know hey the boss wasn't there we kind of got away with that hmm yeah really and it's really amazing that we kind of think it's all right but <laughs> the company say they had, this is really funny because I actually know a company once uh, who did this, where they had embedded in their ceilings where you did not know, they had cameras, okay, and they could see every single thing people were doing. And the people did not know, I mean, because they, they did this, it was so state of the art, you really had no idea. So suppose that happened, okay, and then they realized, oh, okay, you, you all sit around and you talk for a half an hour. Okay, so we're not paying you for that time. All of a sudden, oh, you're not fair. You want to, it's unfair, you want to call HR, you want to complain and have a fit, because how are you taking that money away from me? Hmm, okay, you think that that's okay. So let's think about this. The thought came to do it. What did you do when the thought came? Did you just look at it like, well, everybody else is doing it, so I mean, you know, it's our whole floor. We have, you know, like 1,500 people on the floor. They're all doing it, so, you know, I'm just part of the team. I'm just going to go and do it. But here's the distinction Joys have to think about. You can't afford to do 
what everybody else is doing because you are a child of the Most High God. So you don't get that free pass to just go ahead and be foolish. You just can't do it. It's not about the other people. It's about you and your employer and the fact that the employer hired you to be there to work from eight to five. And that's what it is that you're supposed to do. And if you turn that situation around, you are now the employer and you now have to pay these 1,500 people that are on your floor. And you've got to pay them for the time that they clocked in. And you find, you see, okay, you're paying them for that whole half an hour that they were just shooting the breeze and not, you know, paying any mind to what they're supposed to do. Don't you think that that, would you feel comfortable with that? Or would you feel like you're being cheated? Because they really cheated you out of the time that you're actually paying them for. And here's the thing. That might not be a scenario where there are any cameras, so maybe they really don't know. Maybe the boss really does not know that you did that and you took that time and that you cheated them. But don't you know God knows it? And here's another thing. God knows it, but so does Satan. Now you're helping the con man because you know he's always plotting to figure out a way with any thought, idea, and suggestion of how to mess you up. Well, now you've given him some fuel to add to that thought, idea, and suggestion. And he's so slick and so cunning. He's not going to come at you right then and there with it. He's going to wait until the opportune time and then he's going to reach back, pull that back, and put you right where he wants you to be. <laughs> now, because we've been working on developing the habit of maintaining our thought life, that's what we've been doing this whole series, you immediately put the thought of cheating to the test. That's what you need to do. That's what you're supposed to do. You identify that thought and you find out that it's lacking in its standards. It does not measure up after being examined against your Bible armor. You find that the thought goes completely against what the Bible teaches. The Bible is your standard, not what other people do, okay? You've got to be a standalone employee because you still are representing the kingdom of God. You can't operate based on what everybody else does. Now, this also, I hate to tell you, applies to church too, okay? Not just your job. If so-and-so at church is not friendly and they don't show themselves friendly and they don't speak, that doesn't give you the license to do the same thing, okay? If they give the ushers a hard time about where they're supposed to sit, and the ushers might be trying to extend loving kindness and grace. And in your little mind, the enemy is feeding you the thought of, look at how they got away with it, so I'm going to do it too. Uh-uh. That is not the correct thing that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to identify the thought, recognize that the God is not going to tell you, the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to just blatantly be disobedient because you saw somebody else in church do it. He's not going to do that. So don't yourself in a position where you start to think it's okay. It is never ever okay. The enemy, you need to look at it this way. Whether it's job related, church related, or anything. When it's a thought that isn't right, you need to look at it like the enemy has just shot a fiery dart at me. That's how you need to see it. And know that it wasn't the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on, you know the difference with what's right and wrong. You know that, okay? The Holy Spirit wouldn't tell you to slack off at work because the boss isn't there. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't tell you to 
not be loving and kind to the people at church because they're your brothers and sisters. He wouldn't tell you to do that. Um, and he definitely would never tell you to act up at work. That is not something we're supposed to do. Now, that kind of thinking, the fact that you could see that, it should be congratulated because it has you headed in the right direction. You identified the thought and found that it was from the enemy. You began redirecting your attention and launched what? What? The quenching process, quenching the thought, the fiery dart. You began by redirecting your attention to what the Bible says and reminding yourself of all the scriptures that speak to how you are to conduct yourself on your job or at church or anywhere else as a Christian. You're making a statement by your actions and you don't ever have to open your mouth to make a statement. That is so key. You don't ever have to open your mouth to make a statement. Always remember, someone is watching you. That's exactly why in the Ministry of Helps, we have such strong, um, how can I put it? Not, it? We have high standards. We've got such a strong standard, okay? If you're in the Ministry of Helps, we don't want you going out for dinner and ordering a glass of wine. Now, it doesn't say in the scripture that you can't have wine and that you're sinning against it. It doesn't say that. But here's the difference. If you go out, if I go out, and it's amazing how many people may recognize me just from coming here that I don't even necessarily know that they do. And I'm sitting there with a glass of rosé wine, okay, or whatever. Okay, I just said rosé because I think it sounds cute. But anyway, you know, having my meal, all of a sudden, now I become very suspect to them. Because now, instead of maybe the life that I am trying to lead and show people, which is being a born-again, spirit-filled Christian loving the Lord, I, to them, might look like anybody else who just comes in. It could be a heathen who's drinking wine. So I don't ever want to even make my good ever be evil spoken of. So therefore, I'm not having that. I'll just go ahead and have water. It works. Or whatever. Or juice. Or whatever. The point being is, we have such a high standard set by the apostle for that very reason. We don't want to cause somebody else to stumble because they're looking at us and, and we don't look quite right. So therefore we just don't put ourselves in a position to look that way. We just go ahead and do the very best that we can to always bring honor and glory to our king, which is why the whole entire motto of Helps Ministry is striving for excellence, serving our king. So that's something else to think about. Now what I want you to do is turn with me to Proverbs 10. And we're going to look at verse 4. Because we're going to keep discussing the issue and we're going to keep using the workplace because that just seems to be something everybody can relate to as an object lesson. So if we look at Proverbs 10 and we look at verse 4, it's something that we need to be mindful of whenever you get any of those little negative thoughts about slacking off at work. Okay? Because it says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. And the easy to read says, lazy hands will make you poor. Hard working hands will make you rich. And then the message says, sloth makes you poor. Diligence brings wealth. Now to me, that's really super, super clear. While you're in Proverbs though, I want you to turn to uh, chapter 22. And we're going to look at... Verse 29, 
and it says, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. So when the thought comes to you to slow down or slack off at work, check it. Identify it. Ask yourself, A, does that thought agree with what I believe? And B, does that agree with my Bible armor? You have to always ask that. Now let's look at Colossians, the third chapter, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. Colossians, the third chapter, verses 22 through 24. And I'm going to read it to you first out of the Amplified Classic Edition because I really, really like that one. And it says, Servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not only when their eyes are on you as pleasers of men, but in simplicity of purpose with all your heart because of your reverence for the Lord and as a sincere expression of your devotion to him. Whatever may be your task, work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men that you will receive the inheritance which is your real reward. The one whom you are actually serving is the Lord Christ, the Messiah. Um, which I just, I think it's wonderful, and I'm going to read it quickly out of the message where it says, Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters, and don't just do the minimum. <laughs> that will get you by. Now, how many of us know there are people who do the minimum most of the time? Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus does not cover up bad work. And as Christians, we need to understand that. As Christians, we need to be encouraged that whatever task we're doing, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Don't get caught up in trying to please man because I hate to tell you, man can always disappoint you. You need to keep your focus on Jesus. And sometimes it's not always easy. I remember sometimes I would, because we have five children, but you know, they weren't all grown, which means <laughs> once upon a time they're small. And you're trying to do everything it is that you can. You're trying to help your husband with the business. You're trying to take care of these little kids and make sure everything is right with them. And sometimes you just get weary, you know, and you can get actually tired sometimes. And then you're supposed to cook this right gourmet meal, you know, and you know that you want to do it. But this scripture always helped me because I realized, you know what? When Stan comes home, I want him to have a wonderful meal. And I want him to have a wonderful meal because, yes, that's my husband. It's great. But I am going to do the very best that I can because I'm going to do it as if I was doing it for Christ himself. And that empowers you and gives you energy to just want to do your best, even when sometimes the flesh is just warring against you and you just don't want to do it. Realize everything that you do, you should be doing at the pleasure of our king. And once you do that, it's an encouragement. You then realize, no, I'm not going to just sit here and do this. I'm not going to do a potato in the microwave. That is just not good. I'm going to allocate the time to make sure this is an excellent 
excellent baked potato. It's just little things. We don't always think of that, but it's the little things that make a difference. You know, when it's time for you to go to work, get there 15 minutes early. Don't be so concerned about, I have to get every little thing. All, first of all, our promotion comes from God. Every single thing that you need, he has already supplied. And I hate to tell you this, your job, I don't give a care what kind of job you have. I don't care if you are a doctor, a lawyer, and it's really interesting because doctors, by the way, are some of, if you look at their, the work ethic that they put in, especially like doctors that are surgeons or doctors who have a specialty, they get paid sometimes less than an hourly employee because of how much time they have to put into what they're doing. So that all adds of, oh, that's a doctor, or that's a lawyer. Uh, that's nice, and it's good that they have great jobs, and I'm not knocking that. I think it's a wonderful thing, but that is not our source. Our source is the Most High God, and it does not matter what job you have. It does not matter. You can sit up and tell me you have $5 million in the bank. I think that's wonderful. Praise God. That means you don't have the same challenges as someone else who does not, but you know what? That could all be temporary because they could all of a sudden do something, take a run on the bank, and your little money means absolutely nothing, then what? Who is your source then? Your source is still the Most High God. So we cannot take confidence in how much money we make and how much position we have and where we live. That is not what's going to make a difference. That's not your armor. Your armor is the word. You have got to make that the final authority in your life. And the moment you do that, that's when your life will all of a sudden change because you'll start to realize all the rest of this stuff is just that. It's stuff. And it does not matter because all of your stuff can be gone tomorrow. I stood and watched my house burn, okay, and all the stuff that was in it. But I was so grateful because my husband and my children were fine. And you know what? The stuff can be replaced. And God did replace it better than what I had to begin with. So all I'm trying to tell you is your focus has to always be on him. Your thought, which is we know this whole series is the mind, the arena of faith. You've got to guard your mind. Do not allow the enemy to make you believe anything that does not line up with the word of God. But you are the one who has to do it. You can come to this for 22 weeks. You could come to it for 52 weeks. But if you don't take the time to do it yourself, it's to no avail. But you are the one who has to do it and you are the only one that can do it. So, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise God. So, the principle that when you sign up to do anything, whether it's to work for somebody, whether it's to go and help somebody out with something, whatever it is, whether it's ministry of health, whether it's to come to church and greet people, whatever it is, do it heartily as unto the Lord, because you know what? That is what he is going to honor. Turn with me to Titus, the second chapter, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Titus, the second chapter, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. And I'm going to read it to you out of the message, because it says, Guide slaves into being loyal workers, a bonus to their masters, no backtalk, no petty thievery. Then their good character will shine through their actions, adding luster to the teaching of our Savior God. When you have the opportunity, read this 
verse of scripture, Titus 2, 9 through 10, those two verses, read it out of the Amplified Classic Edition because it's really, really an excellent, excellent translation for it. Now the New King James is good because it talks about in verse 10, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Now pilfering, that's not an expression that we necessarily use every day. It's actually a form of uh, stealing. <laughs> so it's sort of like pilfering. Uh, we talked about it a little bit uh, last week. You know, like when you decide, okay, I really want to have, uh, you know, it's Christmas time and I need to wrap some extra gifts, so I think I'm going to pick up some extra little, you know, uh, scotch tape to take home for my gifts. Or, you know, there's an extra stapler floating around on the floor. Nobody really needs it. And I don't have a stapler at home, so I guess I'll just take that home. That, well, I mean, really? Come on, that is, your th it's a thief. You're being a thief. And that's what pilfering is actually talking about. So that is not something that we want to do. That's also the same thing as stealing time from your employer, like, you know, back to the scenario with the half an hour where you're playing around instead of giving him the work that he has hired you to give. All of these things are not good things, and you need to understand that. Um, it's just not correct. So, I mentioned before that our father is not, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, he's not in the business of mind control. Okay, we are not like little uh, Stepford children where he's just said, here, you to think this way, you to do this, you no. He has literally given us a free will and he's given us our own mind to be able to think with. And we have to understand that he's always trying to help us because he's our father. He loves us. We need to understand that. He's concerned about us. He truly, truly is. And he wants us to make it big in life. He has plans for us. And they're not plans for us to be messed up and not have anything and broke down and disgusted. That is not his plan for us. He wants us to have everything. And he wants us to have a, a wonderful life with the least amount of distraction and interference. It's important that we understand that, but he doesn't want to control our thoughts, but he does want to give us suggestions because sometimes we just don't know what we're supposed to do. We are like children. We are giant children. You hear me say that all the time. The next word that we've got to discuss in our identify, quench, and capture scenario is capture because I haven't told you about that and you've got to know that. You've already, we've already talked about identifying a thought as an enemy, and that when it's approaching us that we have to quench it. We talked about that. Now for the final step. To complete the victory, you have to take the thought captive. Okay? You can't let it run amok because it will go about devouring everything in its path. You've got to quarantine it, quarantine it, if you will. You've got to capture it. Remember how when we looked at 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and the 5th verse, where it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Our armor is the knowledge of God, not our own knowledge. I will repeat that. Our armor is the knowledge of God, not our own knowledge. It is very clearly delineated that the casting down of arguments is our responsibility. Notice he does not say to pray about this. He says to do it. Simple. Do it. You don't have to pray about it. Do it. If we learn how thoughts take us captive, then we can learn how to take thoughts captive. When a thought 
is out to take us captive, it brings along friends, if you will. This is the best way of putting it. A thought can't capture you without help any more than one person can just come up here and capture me now and I'm just going to stand here and say, oh, capture me. No, you're going to have to take a left arm, right arm, left leg. I'm going to fight you every step of the way. Okay, I'm not going to just let you just capture me. So the same way but you can't take me captive by yourself. You've got to bring some help, okay? So that's something that has to happen when it comes to our thoughts as well. The friends will provide evidence that the incoming thought is true. They remind us of events in the past. Remember what I was telling you about how Satan will remember that time you cheated out? He will remember and bring that back. They remind us of events in the past that prove the attacking thought is true. Oh, you remember when? Well, you remember last year. Do you remember that? It's those of the little friends that attach itself. Now, since we now understand how thoughts capture us, we now have a distinct advantage. Advantage, therefore, once a thought has been identified as an enemy, we must quench it. We do that by turning our attention away from the thought and not giving it more attention so that it will die, just like we discussed. Instead, we turn our attention to what the Word of God has to say about the idea that the approaching thought is suggesting to us. Only this time, we're accompanied by our friends, the ones that we found in the Word. Scripture from the Word of God, which provides proof that the approaching thought is a lie. That is extremely critical. I hope you got that. Okay, it is a lie. So the more scriptures, the word of God, the armor that we can gather, the more friends we'll have in bringing it you know, coming against that thought that doesn't line up. And we need to be able to do that. So, to surround the approaching thought, we have to use, this is critical, and then I'm going to close. We have to use our mouths. This is where most Christians mess up. We have to speak our evidence, the evidence that we found when we went to our armor, when we went to the word of God. If thoughts speak to us in order to capture us, then what? We have to speak to them in order to capture them. It just makes sense. We have to speak our evidence, so we've got to talk. Now, it's very amazing to me how many Christians hear this all the time, but they don't want to have anything to do with it because they think it's crazy, doesn't make sense. I'm not going to talk to my pain. I'm not going to talk to my finances. I'm not talking to my checkbook. They can tell you all the things they're not going to talk to, yet and still they'll sit up and they're trying to look at the, a, a program on TV that they program with the DVR, and for some reason or another, they can't get it to work, and all of a sudden they start talking to the DVR. How come this didn't work? I programmed. You, why isn't it showing up? Or they'll talk to the remote. Or they'll talk to if they're drivers and they have a car and the car isn't turning over. Why aren't you? Come on, Bessie. Come on. You know you need to work. They will talk to inanimate objects all the time. All the time we do this. Okay? But the thing is, I want to illustrate how to capture the thoughts by speaking to them. First, do you think, and this is so important, do you think that you are better than Jesus? Oh, you don't. Do you think you're smarter than Jesus? Do you even think for a moment that you're holier than Jesus? So then, do you think you're more godly than Jesus? Absolutely not. Remember when Satan came against Jesus? All he came to him with, with, with were what? Thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. If you are the son of God, command these stones to be bread. Okay, we talked about that. That was just a thought. 
Satan told Jesus, cast yourself down because he will give his angels charge over you. Fall down and worship me and everything will be yours. Another thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. But if you look at, and I'll quote it to you really quick, if you look at Luke's gospel, the fourth chapter and the fourth verse, but Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And my favorite is the Amplified because I like how the Amplified puts him when he says Jesus replied to him. It is written and forever remains written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus answered him saying something. He spoke to the situation, okay? If you look at verse 8, I'll agree to add the Amplified because I like that one. It says, Jesus replied to him, it is written and forever remains written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The person who refuses to speak, the silent Christian, will find it difficult to win the warfare within the mind and gain control of his or her own thought life. You cannot hesitate. Why? Because this is warfare, okay? And I want you to look at this and I want you to think of this. We were made in the image and likeness of God, okay? Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that. He gave us free will and the freedom to think for ourselves. He, we have really a God-like privilege that sets us apart from the animals, okay? We must conduct ourselves like our joint heirs. So if we look at what we found out about Jesus, we found out that he foiled every attack that the enemy attempted to bring against him or his mind. He identified, he quenched, and he captured every thought by speaking what was written. The fiery darts, the evil days, and the wiles of the devil went down the tubes. You and I too can capture every devilish thought. Remember, knowledge and its proper use wins battles. Now I personally pray that this series has taught you more about God's design for our lives. And I want you to think about something. We could not walk in the garden <laughs> with God like Adam and Eve did. We talk about them and, and all that. We didn't have that opportunity. But guess what? We can walk with him in the garden of our hearts where he has taken up residence and he abides with us forever. If we are born again, that is something that belongs to us and we can do. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.